The Supreme Court ducks on Pennsylvania election laws, two cases that won't get their day in court. Professor and nationally featured expert Josh Blackman from the South Texas College of Law stops by. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. All right. Hello, listeners. Welcome back. It's always great being here with you. Hope you're having a terrific day out there, wherever you might be. We've got a, another great show today. We're uh, covering the election law cases again. And so got a, a really kind of interesting episode here coming up. But first, before we get into it, we got to thank our sponsor for their generous support, NOTA. NOTA is powered by M&T Bank because you went to law school to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Take advantage of NOTA, a no-cost IOLTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds. Down to the penny, down to the penny. Visit trustnota.com forward slash legal to learn more. That's NOTA spelled N O T A. Terms and conditions may apply. All right, let's go ahead and greet our guest today, Professor Josh Blackman. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for coming on here, Professor. You know, Molly and I, my uh, producer, we've been working on this episode for a while. You know, just been these uh, post-election challenge cases have just, uh, they've been a very challenging thing to uh, cover, especially early on, right after the election. It was just, seemed like the, uh, there would always be like a new storyline. It just asymmetrically would grow. But I think it's a very important issue, especially this Pennsylvania one, because I think it asked a lot of really interesting questions. And you wrote an article about this. And so I want to, I want to get into that in a second, but we're, of course, talking about the Republican Party of Pennsylvania versus the Graffinry. Did I did I pronounce that right, Professor? You know, it it was Bukvar, which was much easier to say, but I think you did your best bet with that that name. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, that was the case I followed. I noticed that they kind of changed the name there. They updated it, and then it looked like, and I read your piece in the Volat Conspiracy uh, titled Making Sense of Republican Party of Pennsylvania versus uh, de Graffinry, now uh, formerly known as uh, Bukvar. But what I didn't know, that it, it got uh, merged into another case with the Democrat Party. So Corman versus Pennsylvania uh, Democratic Party. So can you tell us the story there? How did it get merged with that case? Well, these were two cases that raised a very similar issue. Which branch of the state government has power over elections? Long story short, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court made some changes to the uh, election laws for, for this year. And the allegation was that the state courts could not do that. There were also allegations that the state legislature violated the state constitution and that the state legislature couldn't make these changes in the way they did. But the issue that is more salient is, can the state Supreme Court make these changes or must the change come from the legislature? It seemed like this case had this very narrow window where the case was not ripe for review or the Supreme Court did not want to hear it. And then all of a sudden it became moot. And so they weren't going to hear it. So it had like this uh, basically a small or non-existent window for review. So tell us about that, because it seems like this Pennsylvania case had a couple bites at the apple, but ultimately uh, the Supreme Court said no. Sure. So in law, there's a concept called standing, right? Which means you can only go to court if something's injuring you. There's also a doctrine called mootness, that if the thing that was injuring you stops injuring you, you generally lose standing. Election cases are tricky. If you complain about some election before the election, the courts will say, well, this is premature. Nothing's injuring you. Come back later. If you sue after the election, the courts will say, well, you waited too long. Um, now, that, now that the election has been cast, we're not going to nullify votes. So too bad. 
So we're in this weird situation where there's really no sweet spot. Like you think of Goldilocks, not too hot, not too cold. There's no sweet spot to actually um, resolve these issues in a timely fashion. In this case, the plaintiff said, yes, the election's over. We can affect the um, outcome of this election. That's already settled and done. But we can set a rule for the future. And there's an exception to the mootness doctrine called capable of repetition yet evading review. Capable of repetition yet evading review. What that means is if there's some issue that will always repeat but can't be reviewed in time, the courts can sort of put aside the mootness doctrine. The most famous example is abortion. A pregnancy can only last nine months, not not much longer. It's impossible to get a case to the Supreme Court in nine months. So even though, you know, Jane Roe or Norma Corvey had already given birth by the time the court decided Roe v. Wade, the court still decided it. And so some of the plaintiffs here said, look, we know the election's over, but let's resolve this issue for the future. And that's how that's how these cases came uh, to the court. Well, let's transition into the uh, constitutional issues. And of course, these were uh, centered around some changes that were made, of course, uh, eventually kind of sealed into election, new election rules by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. It happened about six weeks before the election. Of course, this case was brought forth uh, to the Supreme Court, making some challenges here. And th- this, of course, is Article 1, Section 4 of the Constitution and Article 2, Section 1. Now, these particular provisions in the Constitution have to do with how states manage the national election within their borders. So can you elaborate on that? Tell us what was uh, what's the big question if the court heard this case that it was going to have to answer? Well, the Constitution refers in a few places to the power of the states over election. So one of them is the uh, elections clause in Article 1, Section 4, which says that the state legislature can set the rules for the time, place, and manner of electing senators and representatives. And then we jump down to Article 2, Section 1. It says that each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature can direct the electors. What this text seems to say is that the legislatures decide these issues. Um, Now, the Supreme Court has never resolved this issue as a whole. It came up in Bush v. Gore, where three justices, it was Rehnquist, uh, Scalia, and Thomas, suggested that the Florida State Supreme Court didn't have the power to make these sorts of changes because it was only the state legislature who could make these changes. And this principle became known as the independent state legislature doctrine, that only the state legislature can make these changes and not the other branches. Uh, The courts never adopted this. At least three justices and perhaps four, we don't know for sure, would have wanted the courts to resolve these issues. Okay, and I just want to I just want to paraphrase a little bit. And so basically what what's what's being argued here is that the constitution sets out some rules that if you want to change uh, make changes to your election laws, it has to be the state legislatures that do it. In this case, Pennsylvania state legislature did not want to change. And this was uh, run around the uh, the state legislature by going to the courts to try to get these new rules implemented and eventually they got to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. Correct? Is that a good paraphrase? That's pretty good. A+. plus. All right. Well, let, let's discuss how the justices voted on this. And so, you know, obviously at the end of the day, they, they did not grant review writ of certiari, as they say. So uh, how did it come down? So we had, I guess, three. Three said uh, they dissented and uh, five decided not to hear this case. So can we just run down the line and and uh, tell everyone how everyone voted? Right. The, the votes here are actually kind of messy and we don't exactly know what happened. So a couple things to keep in mind. It takes four votes to grant certiorari. This is called the rule of four. So you need at least four. Three justices dissented from the denial of certiorari. 
Thomas, Alito, and Gorsuch, the court's three most conservative members. So what this tells us is that Thomas, Alito, and Gorsuch would have granted review on the case. And what this also tells us is that six justices did not vote to grant review. That is Chief Justice Roberts, Justices Breyer, Sotomayor, Kagan, Kavanaugh, and Barrett. So six said, don't take the case, and three said they should take the case. Now, you said that it, re- it takes four justices to bring a, a case before review in the Supreme Court. But one thing that I learned uh, reading your piece was that uh, there's not really a requirement for the justices to state their reasoning if they deny that. So is that how it all came out there? You're just not required to do it? It was a new one to me. Yeah, we don't know why. The justices routinely deny thousands of cases a year without any explanation. Occasionally, a justice will dissent from the denial of certiorari and say, I would have taken this case because of X, Y, Z. There's no requirement to respond to that. In rare cases, the justice will say, here's why I'm denying review, but that's, that's really rare. So we have no idea why. We could speculate, though. Perhaps one of the arguments is that the case is moot. Why? Well, because the election's over, right? Trump's out of office. Nothing can happen. Nothing can change. So why decide a case when there's no live controversy? That could be a reason, but we don't know if that's the reason why six voted to deny cert. Maybe they didn't want to have a controversial case about the election. Maybe they, they were hoping to kick the can down the road a couple of years. We, we have no idea. Well, I read the case, and the the only people whose opinion was shared in the uh, as a dissent were uh, Justice Thomas and Justice Alito. So let's transition to over uh, to what they said. And so I think Justice Thomas's was probably the most uh, comprehensive. But uh, you know, just kind of together, maybe a minute or so on that. You know, what what was the dissent all about? Right. So there were two separate dissents. You had one from Justice Thomas solo, and then you had a separate writing, which was by Justices Gorsuch and Alito. They both made similar points, although Thomas was perhaps a little bit more committed to it. They both argued that this case should not be rejected because of possible mootness grounds, that this issue will almost certainly reoccur in a couple of years at the next election. And it's even better to decide this issue you know, behind the veil of ignorance, right? We don't know which way the election will cut in two years. It's better to do this before the election than after. When you bring it after the election, there's a candidate in the lead. And there are people who've already cast their votes. Are you going to go ahead and nullify votes? Is there even possibly a way of doing that? So I think the first part of the dissent was a criticism, saying, why are you kicking this can down the road? Let's decide it. Uh, the justices also say that there were already four votes to review this issue. You know, one of the names I mentioned was Kavanaugh. Justice Kavanaugh, back in November, said that we should take this issue. It's very important that the state courts can't do this, right? The state legislature is supposed to do this. Yeah, Justice Kavanaugh was missing in action. We don't know what he was thinking. He didn't say a word. And I think his uh, conservative colleagues were kind of annoyed at him. And they, they referenced the fact that there were already four votes for this. Third, if nothing else, this is an important issue of constitutional law on which the courts are dividing and the courts should take it. So the dissenter said there's a very good reason to review this case now. Had Kavanaugh or Barrett decide to go along, we would have had to review this case. In the media coverage, it seemed uh, what seemed to kind of be uh, indicated was that you know these courts tend to uh, avoid hearing election cases like the plague, right? And uh, not not to use a colorful term there, but they tend to avoid these because of policy matters. And so I thought it was really uh, thoughtful uh, in Justice Thomas's dissent. There, he gave three reasons why the judiciary, in particular, is ill-equipped to handle election cases after the fact. So, would you mind just, uh, I guess, elaborating a little bit more on those? Justice Thomas put together, I think, three reasons why the courts are not well equipped to handle these sorts of election changes. 
The first is you have very short time frames. Any sort of election litigation after the election has to be compressed. The certain dates by which the Electoral College has to meet and which Congress must certify the votes. There are certain dates that have to happen in order for this process to work. And courts don't move well with hard deadlines. A related issue is that when you have more mail-in ballots, there's more things to count, right? You have to go through mail, you have to open up envelopes, you have to filter through people who maybe aren't filling in the paperwork correctly. If everyone's filling in ballots at the precinct, it's pretty easy to count, they're machines. But with the mail-in ballots, there are a lot more difficulties. And then Justice Thomas raises a third issue, which he says is the perhaps most significant, is courts have to make policy decisions. In what circumstances do you decide to cancel a vote that was not properly cast? You are disenfranchising a voter. Is it ever appropriate to do this? So I think Thomas explains that the benefit always is to handle the case before the election rather than after ballots are cast. That's a great lead into to my next question here. And so, you know, uh, you know, a constitutionally concerned Supreme Court, in your opinion, and, and I'll jump in on this, too. But uh, in your opinion, you know, why why do you think they decided not to hear this case before or after? And do you think that was a good idea? And that's the part I'm going to weigh in after you. You know, I can say why four of them didn't decide it. The other two, I'm not so sure. So for Chief Justice Roberts, he refuses to decide anything ever under any circumstances. Everything always has to be delayed to the last possible moment. And that allows things to just fester. The court's liberals didn't want this because I'm sure they favor, say, courts expanding election doctrines. That's, that's, that's four. Kavanaugh, I think, got spooked out. He got a lot of flack for his opinion in the November case. He got a lot of criticism. I think he made some errors as well. He may have decided to rethink his position. Justice Kagan wrote a very, very vicious dissent where she, I think she torched Kavanaugh. I think that may have gotten to him. Justice Barrett, I don't know. Had she voted to grant cert, that would have been enough. Uh, maybe this was her way of saying, I don't want to be involved with Trump. You know, Get me out of here. I'm, I'm independent, right? Uh, she didn't recuse, but this may have been her way of saying, let's just move on from Trump and let's be done with it. I don't know. But there should have been four, maybe even five votes to grant review. I am not a fan of kicking the can down the road because it creates so much uncertainty for the reasons Justice Thomas identified and also the reasons that Justice Gorsuch and Alito identified Courts don't do well under pressure. Decide this now. We don't know who the victor of the next election will be. Even if the court had ruled in favor of Trump, it wouldn't have flipped the state. The state would have been the same. He still have lost. So there was very few costs of deciding this other than the court's own institutional weakness, that they don't want to decide cases because they're afraid of what will happen. I think I agree with you. And, and to be honest with you, I, I was kind of surprised they didn't hear it. You know, I think before the election, I, I heard the reasons, you know, it's really close to the election. We feel like this would be sort of an unstabilizing event. I thought at some point they would get to it just because these do involve some constitutional law issues. But, you know, further, I think it would have taken a lot of steam out of the frustration with the election if people felt like this matter was getting heard. And so I think that that right there, just in terms of that's why we have a Supreme Court. So I was pretty surprised they didn't hear it. I wish they had. I think I think it could have helped kind of go towards uh, unifying the country a little bit. Because I know, you know, just from all the information that I read and I hear and I watch, uh, you know, the polls, you know, uh, if you're left of center politics, uh, for the most part, you think the election went okay. If you're right of center politics, you know, uh, from what I've read, you know, the majority of right of center, you know, thinks that there's something fundamentally wrong with the way that the election was managed. And so I just think that maybe if they had heard that, maybe it would take a little steam out of that. So let's transition over to, um, you know, if, if the court had picked this up, let's say just in theory, after they went through discovery, 
they did a little forensics. They discovered like, you know what? Actually, this issue may have brought more votes into question than we thought. This possibly could have turned the election, at least for uh, for the sake of Pennsylvania. You know, what remedy could there possibly be? And you kind of talked about it earlier. I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to go reverse, decertify the election, like reverse something. What do you do there? I mean, what what kind of remedy could possibly come from that? I've considered this issue. It's really tough. So to give you an example, where I live in Houston, we had certain changes made to the election laws by the local county judge, a local state, local official. The county judge permitted a basically a drive-in ballot. People would drive through a tent and cast a ballot. I'm pretty sure that's not allowed under election law under the state. It might be a close call because, well, actually, the tent was a structure and this is basically a new building we've designated. Okay, whatever. You make legalistic arguments. But let's just say, for argument's sake, that ballots cast in these drive-through processes were not consistent with state law. Do you throw them out? Right? These people were relying in good faith on the, um, on the officials who were giving them advice. I, I think the answer is you probably keep it. You keep the, you keep the votes. Unless there's some allegation of really egregious conduct. Where's the line? Um, I don't know. Uh, so I think the long and short of it is once the ballots are cast, are not being uncast. And that's why handling this before the election, I think, is far more significant. Yeah, I agree. I, I think uh, you know, you're asking that question like, uh, you know, you, do you decertify these? Do you penalize people through no fault of their own, relying on their government that this is going to be OK? The flip side of that is, you know, other people played by the rules. You know, they didn't do all that. They didn't do the drive through voting. And so now they're paying for it. You know, so it's it's tough. You know, it's really tough to, to kind of uh, reconcile those two points. All right. Last question for you real quick, uh, you know, because this is making the news just recently. So H.R. 1, of course, this is a um, this is a bill being put through the House, the, the For the People Act of 2021, a big election reform bill, which I've kind of read part of it or read about part of it. I'm still learning about it. But from what I could tell, it really pulls a lot of sway and power away from the states on how to run national elections within their borders. And I think from what I've seen so far, I think there's going to be a lot, if it, if it goes through and gets passed by Congress, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, constitutional challenges to it. But here's a quick question for you. You know, Had the Supreme Court decided on these issues with these Pennsylvania cases, do you think this H.R. 1 uh, bill would have even been drafted? I'm not sure. You know, I, I think HR one is a sweeping bill, and I think it's hundreds of hundreds of pages long. It's it's very long, but what it does is it gives Congress more power over the elections. So earlier I mentioned right. the elections clause. It says that the state legislatures have authority over the time, place, and manner of elections. That's all well good, but then the sentence continues. Quote: But the Congress may at any time by law make or alter such regulations. Congress really hasn't exercised that power. So this, I think, would be a, a somewhat uncharted territory about how far Congress can go to regulating state elections. It's, it's, it's novel. And there'll be a lot of litigation. That's for damn sure. <laughs> yeah, I think you can count on that, especially with these contentious times we live in. Well, Professor, it was great talking with you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. My pleasure. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in and sharing this part of your day with us. And if you, you like what you heard, please leave us a positive review in your favorite podcasting app. And once again, thank you to our sponsor, the fine folks at Noda. You can find them at trustnoda.com forward slash legal. That's Noda spelled N-O-T-A. And thank you to our team, producer Molly McDonough and our LTN audio crew. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Have a great day, everybody. 